marriage, that most blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. I think actually I was probably one of the last people uh, on earth to catch up with Peter Cook's brilliant little cameo in um, The Princess Bride that I certainly haven't done um, uh, justice to there, and which I wanted to show you the clip, but uh, I, I couldn't manage it. Daniel Blanche actually kindly introduced me to at least that clip on YouTube, which you can see. And in many ways, it sums up our attitude towards um, Christians and marriage. When we began looking at um, 1 Corinthians 7, I said people react against um, 1 Corinthians 7, (coughs) partly because it's so brutally honest, and to be honest, we, we um, have a rather romanticised view of uh, marriage. We want to preserve that. We don't like the way that Paul, the Apostle Paul seems to uh, shoot that down. But the other reason I think we, re- we react against 1 Corinthians 7 is because um, uh, religious people ought to be like Peter Cook, didn't they, really? They ought to um, utter... Banal, um, I was going to say truisms, not even truisms, um, um, banal, vague thoughts about how wonderful marriage is. What a glorious state it is to say, say single, and we all chuckle at the back. I remember um, Rowan Atkinson's portrayal of the vicar in Four Weddings and a Funeral. That's what we expect. And when we turn to 1 Corinthians 7, we see something actually rather dramatically different. As we come to the end of this um, series in um, 1 Corinthians, (coughs) I hope you have seen that although the Apostle is um, uh, really rather Uh, brutally down to earth, he actually has some things that we really need to heed today. He places marriage and singleness into into a larger picture. Our marital status, he's actually said again and again and again, our marital status is not the only thing that it's important about us. If we are married, he says, we should give ourselves wholly to our marriage. And that, he insists, includes sexually um, giving ourselves for the other's pleasure. We saw that. We should understand as well, he has said, that divorce cannot be initiated by a Christian unless that marriage has been first decisively severed by the other person. If we are single, he has said, we should take the opportunity to think very carefully about whether we should marry or not. It's not an obligation. Indeed, the basic Christian principle, he said, is serve God as you are. It's far more important that you are someone who is serving God today than precisely what your marital status is. 
he uh, portrayed the times we live in with, with great vividness, the present crisis, the time is short. All of us, we said, live actually within a few short decades of being with the Lord at most. We are surrounded by people who do not know Jesus Christ. We only have one life. Use it to the utmost, whether married or single. Serve God as you are. Verse 29, you remember. What I mean, brothers, is this, that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed with them. In them, for this world in its present form is passing away. <coughs> he has he has revolutionised indeed what the way that most of us think about marriage and singleness. He said that's a small part of a much bigger picture that is your life. The bigger picture is: Are you serving God today? The bigger picture is: Are you taking seriously the fact? that you only have one life, you only have a defined um, few years to serve the Lord, are you really asking deep questions about how you can serve him with all your might? This is not platitudes. These are real serious questions he's been asking. And... uh, at the end of this chapter, he, um, uh, with slightly different twist, comes back to some of these themes again. So for the last time, we um, examine what he is saying in 1 Corinthians 7. And the first thing is familiar, but uh, now put in a slightly new way, where he's saying again, devotion to God is more important than marriage. I would like you, verse 32, to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs, her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit, but a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. <coughs> I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but you, that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. The simple fact, when you get married, is that life gets more complicated. That's what he's saying. Married life is more complicated. From the, from the absolutely trivial, whose, whose parents will you spend Christmas with this year? To the profound. B.B. Warfield, for instance, one of the uh, great theologians of a hundred years ago, married his uh, sweetheart and uh, shortly afterwards on their honeymoon, in Germany, she was struck by lightning and she was paralysed for the rest of her life. For the next 29 years, Warfield couldn't spend more than two hours away from her side. 
Marriage is a massive risk. Life is a risk, let's be clear about that. But uh, uh, to be honest, we are a little bit more in control of our own life as an individual. In marriage, the risks are doubled and half of those risks are in the hands of another person. We have an obligation to care for that other person. A married man, says Paul, is concerned about how he can please his wife. A married woman is concerned about how she can please her husband. And he's not saying that he's bad. In marriage, it is essential, indeed it is good. Paul uh, wrote, remember, that wonderful description of marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, in which the, the husband gives himself wholeheartedly to his wife um, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an imitation of Christ giving himself for the church. Paul is not anti-marriage and the Bible more widely is not anti-marriage. When Adam was created alone in Genesis chapter 2, it's the first time you hear the author describing it not as, as not good. Everything else up to that point had been good. Now this is not good. And uh, Adam needs a companion better than a pet dog. He needs someone equal with him. And only when the woman is created is there completion. So nowhere in the Bible is there a sort of anti-marriage message that is, that is not the message of the Bible but there is realism about marriage too married couples under God have a complicated set of obligations certain, certain forms of Christian ministry are not easy if you are married those for instance Dedicated Christians serving God in places like Afghanistan at the moment. You know, they have to face the fact that they could easily be killed. If they are single, the risk is only theirs. If they're married, they must take account of the fact that their death will not only be the end of their life, it will create a widow or a widower. And if they have children, dependent children, even more there are deeper questions still to ask. Not surprisingly, most people in those sorts of situations are single and thank God there are people in those situations. Thank God there are people who are prepared to give their lives so that people will see the love of Christ in those places. Paul's big concern is that people should be freed to serve the Lord with undivided devotion. I am saying this for your own good, he says in verse 35, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to to the Lord. And I have to say, it is rare today 
to hear someone considering the merits of singleness and marriage in terms of whether they will be able to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. But here it is in front of us. That's what Paul says we should consider carefully. The question in our lives is, how can I most glorify God in my life? And let's, let's be honest, for most of us, the answer will include marriage. It's the case today, and it was the case in Paul's day, and he's absolutely explicit, there is, there is nothing wrong or automatically sinful about getting married. What is wrong, though, is to say, I will serve God in most areas of my life, but no, I won't submit to him this question of my marital status. He can't have sovereignty over that. I'm determined to get married, or a few people, I'm determined to stay single. He's not Lord over that. We can't do that. And yet I wonder whether in the, in, in the Western church, in the British church, we have started in fact to say those sorts of things without quite realising it. I don't want to put too heavy a burden on you out there this morning, but let, let me point you to a few startling facts about Christianity uh, in this country. The first is, which is very significant for us as here as a, as a church, the first is that the generation of, say, 16 to 30 or 35 uh, in this country are what by some people are called the lost generation just not in churches I mean that's an overstatement made by publicists who like sound bites but, but uh, having, uh, having taken that it, it is generally true there is a very large number of people in this country who are completely unevangelized in that age group. So when you look around here and you see that the vast majority of people here are precisely in that age group, then we have to conclude that we here as a local church have an enormous responsibility. This is not what the British church looks like. And Amongst that younger age group, even those who are attending church, there are some worrying statistics. First of all, very few of them are in church leadership. The uh, average age of a pastor or a vicar in Britain at the moment, is over 50 and rising. That, that means that within the next 10 years, uh, of the order of 50% of all Christian ministers in this country will have retired 
or be more or less retired. So in 10 years, we have to replace 50% of Britain's church leaders just to stand still. And the younger generation are nowhere near volunteering in those numbers. It's an order of magnitude away from it. Now, it may be that a younger generation have, have, have discovered the, the, the glory, the good biblical glory of serving God in, 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 in the whole of life, in, in, uh, in the workplace, in all sorts of different ways. And, and that would be great. But I take it that God raises up some. Places on some that seed of conscience, that seed of vision. Perhaps I could take a leading role, a full-time role in a church. And I wonder why so few at the moment are coming through. Or um, to uh, look at another dimension of it, the uh, number of volunteers for for missionary service amongst uh, that that generation is low. Proportion of uh, uh, evangelical Christians who were serving the Lord overseas in generations gone by was very significantly higher. And it may be that Today we've lost the, um, that sort of naive imperialism that said we must go and save the world and we've realised that the church is flourishing in other parts of the world and got a much richer and broader perspective on what missions should be all about where we can benefit from receiving missionaries as well as giving it. Maybe that, but I wonder... Now, let me say, um, I may be biased, but I actually think Maudlin Road Church is brilliant. I do. I really do. I see, I, I see devotion to God everywhere that I turn. I hear, I do hear people talking about marriage and singleness even in exactly those terms that the Apostle Paul wants us to. How can I best serve God with my whole life? And I, I have to say again, this may be my completely rose-tinted spectacles, but if every church in Britain was like Magdalen Road, I think we would be doing an awful lot better. But the truth is that we must hear, they are not. And therefore this church, which sees so many people go through, through, uh, uh, through us. Uh, the, the vast majority of people are here for a few years and then move on to serve the Lord elsewhere. This church has a responsibility and an opportunity to make a disproportionate um, a dent in some of those statistics. If we really grasp it, if we really catch the vision the Apostle Paul has, if we managed to rise above that, that, those, those, that set of obsessions that the world gives us, 
What career am I going to have? How much money am I going to earn? What, what partner am I going to, uh, going to marry? And, and, and a thousand other things that it drums into us that must be important to us. And the Apostle Paul says, well, great and important though those are, they're tiny compared with the big issue. Will you serve the Lord with your whole life? Will you live in undivided devotion to the Lord? Let me just, just think about the influence that, uh, that people have, who have made sometimes costly decisions of that sort have had. For instance, in the latter part of the uh, 20th century, there's no doubt that British evangelicalism was, was dominated by John Stott and Dick Lucas, both men who had decided not to marry. They just couldn't have had their ministries, the ministries that they had, if they, uh, if they had married. Well, of course, married men can make great contributions. In fact, it's my conviction that, that the normal church leader should be a married person. The Apostle Paul says that an elder should be the husband of but one wife. He doesn't mean to say that he must always be married, but there is that mental assumption. That's the norm. But some who have chosen not to marry can have particular influence in ministries. Or look at some great missionaries. Dr. Helen Rosevere, for instance, now in advanced old age, she served in the Congo from 1953. She was taken um, a prisoner um, in 1964 and imprisoned for months and brutally and terribly treated, including being uh, uh, raped, And yet after she was released, she returned to the Congo and she served there again faithfully until 1973. Could she have done that as a wife and mother? The cost would have been even greater if she had. There are extraordinary other other women as well who have chosen singleness and served the Lord. Gladys Aylward, who served the Lord in, in China. Amy Carmichael who uh, ran an orphanage in India and saved countless young uh, women from uh, starvation or prostitution for, for 50 years. The great 19th century missionary to India and uh, Persia, Henry Martin from uh, Cambridge, was actually deeply in love with a young woman. And um, he decided that he had to go to India to uh, spread the gospel. He wrote, my love must wait. Actually, he never returned. What he did do was translate the New Testament into, I think it was three languages, in almost miraculously fast speed, no doubt because he hadn't got, um, uh, partly because he hadn't got family encumbrances and responsibilities and was able to go into dangerous and difficult uh, places, which ultimately took his life. And there have been those who have married as well and done similar things. Always 
their life story bears out exactly what the Apostle Paul says. It's more complicated that way. Jim Elliot, for instance, who was martyred by the Alka Indians, um, left a widow, Elizabeth Elliot, left a fatherless daughter. James Hudson Taylor, the founder of uh, China Inland Mission in the 19th century, he was married um, and a significant number of their children died. Finally his wife died. And the Apostle's absolutely right. Life is more complicated married. The Lord may call us to marry. The Lord may call us to be single. But the real question is, will I serve the Lord with my whole life? Will I live in undivided devotion to the Lord? We need, in this country, a generation of men and women, married and not, who will live with that question burning on their hearts. We really do. We follow generation after generation of evangelical Christians who have lived with exactly that question on their hearts and who have done extraordinary things and some of whom are now written down in the annals of fame because they saw that issue and they, they let it rule their life. And now there's another generation that needs to hear it. One more point the Apostle Paul makes. Just in case we felt a bit overpressured. Make your choice freely, he says. That seems to be the underlying, the, 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 the key issue in verses 36 to 38. If anyone thinks he's acting improperly towards the virgin, he's, he's engaged to, and if he's getting on in, she's getting on years, and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning, they should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his will, and has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. Actually, these, these verses, as you'll see from the enormous long footnote at the bottom, they're not actually as clear as we might hope. Some people think, for instance, that it, it's talking about a father with his virgin daughter and trying to decide whether he should, um, as they had responsibility for helping their daughters get married, whether he should, he should encourage her into marriage or he, he shouldn't. Um, that's the... Um, uh, uh, footnote reading there in the NIV. Most commentators would take the main reading that this is an engaged or a courting couple who are considering should they finally tie the knot. And that word, um, uh, the word translated that she, she is getting on in years is also a little bit difficult. It, um, <coughs> 
It's a word that's used to describe reaching a, a high point or a, um, a, a, a zenith. And it could be an idiom to say, you know, she's in danger of going, getting over the hill in that, in that sense. But actually it's more often used sexually. So probably the apostle means that things have come, he sort of says slightly coyly, to a certain climax in their relationship. Um, uh, in which case, he said, they should get married. Now, I do want you to note here very um, clearly from these verses that there is a danger in young couples who are starting to form a relationship and they're not quite sure where it is going, there is a danger of treating the opposite sex improperly. Allowing things to develop which we regret. Do you see there in verse 36? If anyone thinks he's acting improperly towards the virgin he's engaged to and if things have reached a certain climax and he feels he ought to marry and so on. It's possible, you see, to drift into relationships um, without ever really doing any hard thinking about it. And it can get to a point then in that relationship where there is, just, there is going to be significant pain if it's ended. It is wise advice, those who say, do not date someone unless there is the possibility of marriage. Now, I, I know in that uncertain uh, phase of singleness looking for a marital partner, there, there is also pain and mistakes and errors that can be made entirely innocently. Because it's just difficult negotiating that. I know that. I see that. And sometimes people, people have to just forgive one another or to, to accept the pain when there is no fault on, on either side. It just didn't quite work out. But sometimes someone's being a bit reckless. They enjoy the process of dating or forming that very strong relationship. When really, if they were honest, they're, they're way off marrying that person. It doesn't mean to say don't have good relationships with the, with the opposite sex. It doesn't mean to say that at all. It doesn't mean to say that, that um, uh, we shouldn't develop brotherly and sisterly relationships. They're good. Timothy was told, treat sisters as uh, treat, treat women as younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Those relationships across the sexes are something that Christians ought to be able to uh, be able to do and rejoice in. But we need to be wise. It is possible, as Paul seems to imagine here, that a couple can. Uh, imperceptibly have got to a point they've never really stopped to think. Now they can, he says. 
If the man has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, has control over his will, and has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. It may be still right not to go ahead with it. It may be better to... to um, Maybe he hasn't treated her improperly in any way. If he, if he has, it may be better to apologise uh, and to move on. But be free in your heart, he's saying. Don't get, get caught into these situations which are really problematic. He who marries the virgin who does right, yeah, it's good. But, he says, remember, singleness has enormous benefits as well for gospel people. In fact, Paul goes so far as to say, who does not marry her does even better. Not under any compulsion then, in control of our will, that is how we need to make our decisions. Not driven by our circumstances or by some drive that is stronger than our love for God. But as people whose fundamental drive is to serve the living God and all other things are under control because that, that thrives us more than anything else. So, Perhaps you have considered all of these things in 1 Corinthians 7 and your conclusion is, I'm single and I really ought to get married as soon as I can. That is right, that feels right for me, I'm confident before God that that is my calling. Then go for it, not as under compulsion, but as freely making that decision in the Lord. It's a godly decision. There is nothing wrong with it. Perhaps you've, perhaps you've considered all that there is in 1 Corinthians 7 and you said, I'm single and I think probably I'll get married but I don't feel I must now. That can come. It's in the Lord's hands anyway. Well, serve him as, uh, as you are. Serve him today, Freely. Seek for him to sort out that situation. Perhaps you have studied 1 Corinthians 7 and you've thought, actually I can see what the the Apostle Paul sees. It's simpler to stay single. But there's gospel ministry that can be done better if I'm single. But he doesn't make me a second class citizen to be single. Then freely, under no compulsion, You can choose it. I see so many people who feel bound by their circumstances. The Apostle Paul says, go free. You are not defined by whether you're single or married. You are defined by being a child of the living God. Live for him as a free person. And let your marital status sort itself out as one of, no doubt, many issues 
that the Lord will need to work out.